The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Go ahead and grab a Bible. I challenge you to read through the scriptures in a year. This will take you through Old Testament reading, New Testament reading, part of a psalm and a proverb every single day. And uh, it's an opportunity for you to do it. And I've had folks say, what do you do, Pastor Gary, if you get behind? When I get behind, I just go, I, I skip whatever I miss and go to the day. I'm not obsessive compulsive in that area, although I am in others. So uh, just be a man or woman of the word. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. So we're doing a series called Visitations right now. And uh, we've talked about uh, various visitations. We talked about visitations of the prophets in the Old Testament. And uh, we talked last week, Dave uh, Tate did a great job, Elizabeth and Zechariah, the mother and father of John the Baptist. And this week we talk about the visitations that were given to Mary and Joseph. So let me pray for us and we'll look at the word together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. By the way, if I sound a little uh, puny up here, I am. We spent last weekend with our grandkids, and when you're with the grandkids, they are germ factories, and uh, I've gotten whatever they got, and so here we are, and here we go, right? So visitations, this week I've entitled the message, Godparents, Godparents. You should have an outline in your hands from when you came in, Luke chapter 1. Have you ever been shocked? I mean, just totally shocked. Something happened in your life, something happened to your kids, something happened in your world, something happened in your family. Uh, maybe it's the headlines of the news and you walk away shocked. Uh, we become unshockable in some ways because all of the things that have happened in our world and we read, another, we read of another attack, we read of uh, nations in turmoil, we read of struggle in the streets and sometimes we're not easily shocked. Sometimes those shock happens. Someone sent me a story from Kenya there was a man who was hitching a ride on a back road. A man came by in a pickup truck and he was hauling an empty coffin to a remote village. And so he stops and grabs a hitchhiker. So the guy driving along, there's a guy hitchhiking. He picks the guy up. The guy gets in back of his pickup truck. And as they're going down the road, he told them the coffin was empty. They're going down the road. Uh, he didn't have anything to be afraid of. Gone down the road and it starts to drizzle. And then it started to rain hard. So the guy decided, well, I'll just hop into the coffin. So he picks up the top. He hops in the coffin, pulls the top down on himself and uh, falls asleep while he's riding him back in the truck. About a half an hour later, there's another hitchhiker in the road. <laughs> you know where this is gone, don't you? So he stops and picks up the second hitchhiker. They, they go down the road for about 15, 20 minutes. The guy in the coffin wakes up. And when he wakes up, he pushes the top of the coffin up. The headlines in the Kenya paper says, the hitchhiker, the second man, immediately jumped out of the pickup truck, suffering a few broken bones, but survived. <laughs> you think he was in a state of shock? I, I mean, you can imagine what that scenario was like. All of a sudden, some dude raises the coffin lid and you think, oh my gosh, what just happened here? Imagine the shock that Mary experienced when the angel Gabriel showed up and said, hey, Mary, you're going to have a child. And, and imagine what it was like on that day. And imagine what the shock that Joseph received when Mary said, hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant. And then imagine the shock that Joseph received when an angel showed up and spoke to him as well. So when we look at this particular, these sections of God's word, I, my question for us is, what kind of people were they? When they were visited by these angels, what kind of people were Mary and Joseph? Were they extraordinary people or just ordinary people? And how do you think you would have responded if you were the one who had been visited by an angel? My 
thesis is this. Mary and Joseph were an ordinary couple given an extraordinary task. They were just an ordinary couple. They're no different than you or I. They were an ordinary couple, but they were given an extraordinary task. And so that's what I want to focus on this morning. What were these, what was this young couple like? As far as we can tell, Joseph was probably a young man, maybe late teens, early 20s. Uh, Mary was probably early teens. That's when folks became betrothed and married at that time. And there are several things we can see in the scriptures about each of those. First of all, Mary was a woman of faith. Mary was a woman of faith. You know, there are many responses in the Christmas story as we look at it. There's the innkeeper who offers a stable to a young lady in labor. And I'm afraid in a lot of our Christmas plays or readings, we throw the innkeeper under the bus. He he at least gave to them what he had, right? And so I I don't see him as a bad guy or a guy who was uh, insensitive. I just see a guy who said, this is all I have and you can have it. We see his response. There's the shepherds obeying the angels, leaving their flocks and headed to Bethlehem to find the Christ child. We see their response. Uh, there's the wise men. Last year, uh, my granddaughter, we got five grand boys and one granddaughter. Her granddaughter said, Papa, don't tell me about the wise guys in the story. <laughs> uh, the wise men, uh, they, they followed the star, didn't they? And then, then we have the response of Anna and Simeon. You know, they were the older folks waiting in the temple. They were waiting in the temple for Messiah to come. They were the original pacemakers, if you, or pace setters, if you will. I say that all the time. They're, they're the older 60 bunch. And uh, so what we find is they're waiting in the temple for Messiah to come. We see their response. The response of Mary was a response of faith. The response of Mary is a response of faith. Look at Luke chapter 1 with me. Beginning in verse 26, we read this familiar Christmas story. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So uh, the emphasis is upon the fact that she's pure. The word virgin occurs twice in that verse. So she is minding her own business. We don't know what she's doing. Maybe she's doing household chores. Maybe she's sitting at, just staring at, uh, outside. We don't know what she's doing, where she is. But, but it says, uh, and coming in, know that, I think I just, there we go. Coming in, he said to her, the angel says to Mary, hail favored one. Now the word favored there is the root word for grace. Mary, grace has been extended to you. You are the favored one, Mary. Grace has been given to you. The Lord is with you. And so you've got an angel, you're going about your business, an angel comes to you, which isn't an everyday occurrence, and uh, he says, you're the favored one. And uh, Mary, the, the Lord is with you. And look at the response in verse 29. But Mary was greatly troubled at this statement, and she kept pondering, what kind of salutation is this? You bet she was troubled at that statement. I mean, imagine you're going about your business, all of a sudden an angel comes to you and and says, you're the favored one and uh, uh, God is with you and Mary is anxious at that point in time. She's wondering what in the world is going on? Who is this creature? What's he going to do? What kind of favor do I have? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. I imagine Mary would say, too late, too late. (laughs) Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. There is our word favor. If you write in your Bible, circle the word favor in verse 28, the word favor in verse 30, the root word is grace. Mary, you have been given grace by God. Mary, God has graced you. So this is not because Mary was some extraordinary saint. Mary was just an ordinary woman who found favor by God. This is God's favor upon her. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and his kingdom will have no end. We just sang about that. And so Mary says, uh, I've got a question. You see, Mary, uh, can I speak to you? Uh, I got a question. Uh, my question is a simple question. How can this be since I'm a virgin? Uh, this does not compute to me, Mr. Angel. I, I mean, we've got one issue here. I've not been with a man, and uh, yet you're telling me I'm going to have a child. And the angel answered her and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Offspring shall be called the Son of God. And Mary said, what? She doesn't say that. But can you imagine? I mean, an angel said, look at the statement. If you look at verse 35, uh, Mary, here's the answer. Why, how can this happen since I'm a virgin? Well, Mary, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to uh, have the power of Most High God overshadow you, and uh, you're going to have the Holy Offspring. Now, think about that for a second. You're a 16, 17-year-old Jewish girl living in Nazareth, and all of a sudden this angel appears and says, hey, by the way, you are going to have this child. You are going to remain a virgin, and the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. I've often wondered how much of that Mary fully understood, don't you? I mean, picture yourself. And all of a sudden, that's your answer. And this is where I get that Mary is a woman of faith. If you drop down to verse 38, in fact, I've got it up here on a slide. Mary answered, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left. Just like that. Mary said, hey, whatever you said, I'm all in. I'm all in. I've been favored by God. You, you, somehow I'm going to be overshadowed, whatever the heck that means. And I'm going to have God's son. Now I'm going to tell you that's a response of faith. I believe you. And whatever God said is going to happen. So Mary treks off, as Dave taught last week, to be with her cousin Elizabeth, who's pregnant with John the Baptist. And when Elizabeth looks at Mary as they initially come together, her response is this in verse 45. Blessed is she, referring to Mary, who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. Elizabeth looks at Mary and says, you're a woman of faith. You believe God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And so when I look at Mary, she's an ordinary woman, but she is a woman filled with faith. I mean, her life is going to change forever. She had to wonder, how's Joseph going to respond? How's my family going to respond? How, 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 how's my friends going to respond? But Mary, of all things, was a woman of deep faith. In a book uh, that I have by Ken Geyer, he says, suppose Mary decided she didn't want to go along with this. What if Mary would have said, wow, hey, I'm really flattered, but I think I'll pass. I think I'll pass. Um, let someone else get this gift. I'm not sure I'm really ready to be the mother of the Son of God. The favor God wants to bestow upon me, um, let somebody else have it. But Mary responded by faith. And the result of that is she became the promised, or he became, she bore the promised Son of God. Let me ask you a question this morning. 
What does God ask you to do by faith and you've refused to do it? Mary's a great example to us. Maybe you've sat under my teaching or one of the other pastors' teaching, or maybe you've been in the Word having a quiet time, maybe you listen to somebody's podcast, and maybe it's just that being in a conversation in, in the community group you're a part of, and, and you've been convicted. Maybe you've been convicted to, to go and seek forgiveness from someone or extend forgiveness to someone, or you've been convicted to become part of a smaller community, or you've been convicted to rejuvenate and restore and refresh your marriage, which is kind of broken right now. Or maybe God's convicted you to begin tithing, begin giving, become generous. Maybe God's convicted you, you need to be the one to start that Bible study in the workplace. You need to be the one to have a Bible study in your neighborhood. You've been convicted about that. You know you should do it, but you have dragged your feet over and over. Mary is a woman who responded by faith. John Ortberg, one of my favorite authors, he wrote that book I refer to all the time, Everybody's Normal to Get to Know Him. He wrote another book with a catchy title, You Gotta Get Out of the Boat to Walk on the Water. See, Peter got out of the boat, nobody else did. Peter walked on water, nobody else did. He responded by faith, nobody else did. Mary responded by faith. Or are you responding by faith to the call of God in your life? What is it he's asked you to do and you've put off and refused to do? Mary responded as a woman of faith. Mary was also a woman of the word. She was a woman of the word. The song that we just sang and the verses that I read when I came up after that are found in Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 46. So Mary goes to visit Elizabeth Elizabeth blesses her. Elizabeth says, you are the one who's fulfilled the promises of God or believe that God will do it. And then look at Mary's response beginning in verse 46 of Luke 1. My soul exalts in the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. When I read those verses, I see Mary lifting her hands in praise. I see her eyes sparkling as I lock on to Elizabeth. And I see her heart leaping with joy as she thinks about what's going to happen. She's excited. She's excited about the joy that she has. And she says, I I am praising God. I wrote an article for the Temple Telegram two weeks ago. It's from a message I preached two years ago. And what I said is Mary could have been filled with worry, but instead Mary worships. Do you see it here? I mean, she she is young, she is pregnant, she is single, and she is poor. And she could have had a thousand excuses of why she would not be that way or why she should be filled with anxiety and worry. But Mary's response is one of praise and thanksgiving and exultation and rejoicing. I don't know the circumstances in your life, but I pray that when circumstances come your way, you'll recognize that rejoicing and praise and exultation comes not from our circumstances, but from looking to the one who can get us through those circumstances. And so we realize here's Mary, poor pregnant and and praising God. And I just love that. I just love it. And she says in verse 48, for he has regard for the humble state of his bondservant for behold, all the, all this time generations will count me blessed for the mighty one has done great things. They pass the Gary, Why do you say she's a woman of the word? Because if you read to the end of that chapter, Mary's Magnificat, you would find in that section, there are 15 discernible quotations from the old Testament. Mary knew the scriptures. 15 discernible quotations from the Old Testament and 17 attributes of God are mentioned by Mary in that little section of praise. Mary was a woman of the word. When God looked down and chose Mary to be the favored one, he chose one who knew his word. He chose one who had immersed herself in the word of God. And I see the joy, the excitement in Mary's eyes, poor, pregnant, and praising God. And she had joy in her heart. You know, we just lit the candle of joy down here. And Chai's are up here, and, 
as they read those verses and talked about rejoicing, one of the things we recognize is joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. If you do not have joy in your life, and there's a difference between joy and happiness. Joy is contentment regardless of our circumstances. And if you do not have joy in your life, the Scriptures are clear in Galatians 5, it's because you're not filled with the Spirit of God. And so I don't know what your circumstances are. You know what mine are. And in the midst of this, I should have great joy. In the midst of whatever comes my way and your way, we should have joy because we have the God of the universe walking with us and living through us and in us each day. The German atheist, Friedrich Nietzsche, explained why he had such a negative view of Christianity. You know what he said? His father was a Lutheran pastor. And he said, I never saw the members of my father's church ever enjoy themselves. Isn't that tragic? I mean, do you laugh? Do you have joy? Are you excited about life? Are you excited about what God's doing? Or does your face look like the frontest piece of the book of Lamentations all the time? I mean, how many hundreds of times have I said, I, I meet folks and they live their lives. You know, we learned that little kid song, we're kids, I've got the joy, 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 joy. How many times have I done this? I meet people, they, they, they sing it this way. I've got the joy, joy, joy. Way down. Deep, deep. Deep down. <laughs> Get it out, bro. Get it out. Come on. I'm for you. We're going to do it. I mean, I think some of us get to heaven and God say, I didn't mean for you not to enjoy everything I gave you. And Mary says she's poor, pregnant, single, and praising God. Mary's a woman of faith. She's a woman of the word. She's a woman of concern. She's a woman of concern. I, I get that from Luke chapter 2 as well. Luke chapter 2 is a very interesting story. Luke chapter 2 is the only episode we have from the early years of the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 2 uh, is, I mean, when you read this, you're thinking, really? So beginning in verse 41, it says, uh, Jesus' parents used to go to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. When he became 12, they went there according to their custom. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. Uh, you ever lost a kid? You ever go to a store and you turn, mom, what, mom you, you ever go to a store, you turn around and say, where'd they go? Or, or you go to school to pick them up and they're not there. I mean, you ever, you ever that scenario play out and you, you lose a kid? Imagine that you just lost Jesus, the Messiah. <laughs> can, can you see this? They're on the caravan. They're headed back to, to Nazareth. And, and uh, Mary saddles up next to Joseph. Hey, Joe, you got Jesus? Uh, no, Mary, I thought you did. Joseph, I told you we're not going to play games like that anymore. You got Jesus? Uh, no. Uh, Mary, I, I, I thought you had him when we left Jerusalem. He wasn't with you. I preached this message New Year's several years ago. I called it the day God got lost. <laughs> Imagine you've been given the responsibility to raise Jesus, God's son, and you lose him. That's a bad day. That's a bad day. And here's what makes it worse. If you read through Luke, you know when they found him? It dropped down to verse 46. It came about after three days, they found him in the temple. Three days. You talk about frantic parents, man, they are looking everywhere. You see Jesus? Anybody know where Jesus went? Anybody see the, the God's son? God's son is missing right now. You've been given the responsibility to raise Jesus and you lose him. That's a bad parent right there. I, I can't wait to see Mary and Joseph in heaven and talk to him. Hey, what was it like those three days? 
I imagine Joseph got his share of the blame, don't you? I mean, you're the man, you're responsible, you've got to give account for this, you're responsible. Joseph, you're the head of this family, now Joseph, do something about it. I, I don't know how it played out, but here's what I do know. Look at verse 48. When they saw him, they were astonished. He's answering questions. He's quizzing the teachers in the temple. They were astonished, verse 48. And his father said to him, is that what it says? Look at your Bibles, verse 48. They were astonished when they saw him and who? His mother. Mary spoke up. Hey, boy. Why have you treated us this way? Why'd you do this to us, Jesus? Um, behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. It's pretty interesting. The word anxious there is the same root word we find back in Luke chapter 1 when the angel, when Gabriel appeared to Mary, and it says in verse 29, she was greatly troubled. Same root word that's found in Luke chapter 2 when it says, you've troubled us. We've been anxiously looking for you. She's a mother of concern. She's the one that spoke up. And then you fast forward with me to John chapter 19. Years have transpired since the birth of Jesus. About 33 years have transpired. Jesus has performed miracles. He's got enemies. They arrest him. They try him. He's stapled to a cross. Who's at the foot of that cross? A concerned mama. A concerned mama's there. It says in verse 25 of Luke chapter 19, therefore the soldiers did these things, but they were standing by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus looked down and saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's John who's writing this gospel standing nearby, he said to Mary, his mother, woman, behold your son, pointing to John. And then he said to John, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. And so John becomes the protector of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary was there when he came into the world. Mary was there when he exited the world. In John chapter 19, she's standing at the foot of the cross. And I've often wondered if the words at the birth, when she went to the temple to have him circumcised, the words of Simeon came to her mind. Because back in the Gospels, when it talks about Simeon and Anna, one of the things that Simeon said to him, to Mary and Joseph, a sword shall pierce your hearts. So I see Mary looking at her son on the cross. And I wonder if she says, so this is the sword. Sword will pierce his side, but the sword that Simeon talked about piercing my heart. And imagine as a mama, she stood there through a watery veil of tears looking up on that cross. Why are they treating my son this way? Why, why are they beating him like this? Why is he suffering so much? And she turns and she prays and says, why are you doing this to my son? Not my son, our son. And this mother of concern pours out her heart the foot of the cross. Mary was there when he came in the world. Mary was there when she left the world. She was a woman of faith. She was a woman of the word. And she was a woman of concern. Then there's Joseph. We don't know much about Joseph. That scene in, in the, when Jesus got lost, 
that's the only, that's the last time we heard Joseph mentioned in the scriptures. Scholars speculate he died. Uh, more than likely, that's what happened. We started doing the math. Men didn't live only in their 40s at that time. Jesus had been 33. So Joseph probably died sometime during the life of Christ prior to the gospels. We don't know that for certain, but it seems like. And so we look at that and recognize Joseph's not there. He's not mentioned anywhere. But there was a day when Mary came to Joseph and he was shocked. He was shocked because of the news she would give him. She's a virgin. She's his fiancee. He has not touched her. Wonder what that moment was like. Here's a video of what it could have been like. Of course, we're not sure. Sweetie, are you listening? Mary, I've said it once, so I'll say it again. I can do two things. Two things at once, yes, I know. Uh, but we really need to talk. And Joseph, yeah, I need you to listen. I am listening so hard right now. I, you can't even imagine how much I'm, I'm concentrating on, on you and words. I'm overwhelmed by your concentration. Can you, can you just stop for a second, please? Mary, I would love to stop for a second, but I can't. Why not? We're going to be married soon, and I just, I just want everything to be perfect. Joseph, I love your heart. I really do. But, you know, not everything has to be perfect, and that's okay, because we don't know what life is going to throw at us, you know? Right, but I, I still want a house worthy of you, and, and to do that, I, I, I've got to work, because a man's... Man has uh, got to have a plan. Have I mentioned that before? A time or two. Mary, I have so many plans for us. This table, this is where we're going to have our meals together. And, and, and I've made it big enough for, for to seat some little ones. For down the road, of course. About that. Where did I put that chisel? Joseph, I need to tell you something. Something... Something unbelievable. Did I put it in that shelf? I was visited by... By an angel. Yeah? And he, he told me that I was highly favored. Mm-hmm. And it all felt... It felt like a dream until he... He told me something. And the instant he said it, I knew that it was true. I just used it. I, I just had it. Joseph, are you listening to me? Yeah, that, that sounds really great. Joseph... Got it. I'm pregnant. That moment, two ordinary people given an extraordinary task. How would they respond? What would they do? Well, the scriptures tell us a little bit about Joseph. We can uh, look at that and discern a few things. First of all, Joseph was a righteous man. If you look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 19, it says, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. Scriptures say Joseph was a righteous man. That means he was one who was in right standing with God. He was a follower of Jehovah. He was a follower of Jehovah. He was an ordinary man, but he was a righteous man. So he was a man like the men in this room who know Christ. 
He was in good standing with God. And by the way, righteousness is not something we earn, something we buy, something we work for, something we, we, we can get ourselves, but it's God's grace being extended to us through salvation. And then he imputes his righteousness. We become his righteousness is what the scriptures tell us. We don't know about, much about Joseph. He was a carpenter and he led his family during the birth narratives to flee Egypt when he was told that Herod was coming after them. And then the day Messiah went missing is the last time we know about Joseph. But what was it like for a carpenter to raise him? Michael Card, a, uh, a Christian songwriter, wrote a, word, uh, wrote a song called Joseph's Song. And in that, uh, he said, how could it be this baby in my arms sleeping peacefully? The son of God, the angel said, how could this be? Lord, I know he's not my own, not of my flesh, not of my bones. Still, Father, let me let this baby be the son of my love. And then I love this section. Father, show me where I fit into this plan of yours. How can a man be a father to the son of God. Lord, for all my life, I've been a simple carpenter. How can I raise a king? How can I raise a king? And here was a righteous man whose life would be totally changed in this upheaval from a visitation by an angel. The scriptures also tell us that he desired to put Mary away secretly. So Joseph was not only a righteous man, Joseph was also a man who was kind and merciful. You see, when Mary came and said she was pregnant, he had some options. He could divorce her, he, he could send her away, which is what he was gonna do, which was the most merciful thing to do, or he could actually have her stoned because she was pregnant out of wedlock. But Joseph being a man who was kind and merciful, more concerned, it seems, from the text about Mary than himself, not concerned about others wagging their tongues, but more concerned about someone else, responds by saying, I'll just send her away. And I don't want to make, speculate too much, but here's what I would say. This Christmas season, we have the opportunity to be kind and merciful as well. We have the opportunity to respond like Joseph responded. There are people we can be kind to in a hurried world. There are people we can be merciful who deserve other things. And I, I pray that we are not those who judge them, but we are those who reach out in mercy as Joseph reached out in mercy and kindness to the woman he was in love with. And finally, Joseph was an obedient man. When the angel came and said, hey, Joseph, you need to leave because Herod's going to come after you. I, I, I like what the scriptures say. It says, having a dream that warned him, this is verse 12. It says down in verse 14, this is Matthew chapter 2, he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Earlier, after the angel appeared to Joseph, this is Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, Joseph arose from, his sleep, arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Two sections in God's word that Joseph has mentioned both times he's a man of obedience. He's a man of obedience. He followed the instruction of God. And I pray that we too will walk in obedience. When God asks us to do something, we would do it. We would respond by faith and we would do it. A few years ago, I was walking through Walmart at Christmas time, and as I was going through there, there was a, a, a mom, and she had two kids with her, and one was about a four-year-old, and he was pitching a tantrum. He wanted something, he wasn't going to get it. And so he's just screaming and hollering, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. And uh, I, I watched that and thought, that's how I am sometimes with God. I stomp my feet and say, I want it my way, not your way. And I look at Joseph's life and the two times it's mentioned that someone spoke to him, an angel, both times, Joseph responded 
in obedience without hesitation. So here's my conclusion. God took two ordinary people and gave them an extraordinary task because God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. So I look around this room, ordinary people, every one of us. But God can take you and accomplish tremendous things if you allow him. God takes ordinary people like you to change a community, to change a school, to change a neighborhood, to change a family, if you'll allow him to use you in great ways. We're going to sing a song, and it's a song that talks about uh, if he had not come. The fact is he came, and he came out of love, and he gave that love to us. You may not know this song. If you know it, you sing along with us. If you don't, just bow and worship the Father as Laura leads us. So let's all stand together.